Okay, I wasn't expected to preach so soon. So as you can see, I'm trying to get my bearings about me. So uh, my wife surprises me often like this. Good surprise. All right. So we started two weeks ago. I mean, first of all, who, who enjoyed uh, Paul Tuttle's kind of injection into our, our community? And uh, certainly what I was reminded of is just the fact that we are spiritual beings that live in a physical world. And I think we get that mixed up. And that's why this emotionally healthy spirituality is so important. Because if we don't understand that, if you don't realize that there are angels here. Yeah, there's chochos too. But there are angels here. Thank you. Do you know that you've got a personal angel that travels with you? Seriously, do you know that? I'll leave it there. EQ. Why are we on this journey of emotional maturity is because what I've seen over the years within my own life and in the lives of others, we can have this amazing spiritual maturity around the Word of God and we can quote Scripture and we can do all of those things, but we lack the emotional maturity to withstand life circumstances and conflict and problems in relationships and that we fall apart. And so we don't actually move forward in our relationship with God and with others because of our lack of emotional maturity. So two weeks ago, I shared on the importance of emotions, and I shared out of Matthew 26 how Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and what he shows us in the whole context of his life is how important those emotions are, and he expresses the full spectrum of human emotion, and he shows us truly what it is to be human. And the beauty is, is that he, chooses, he shows us how to process negative emotions. Many of us are happy with our positive emotions, aren't we? And what I did was I, I looked at how we do this from a, a, a perspective of humanity. And the first one is, is we look at Eastern spirituality and we look at Buddhism. And we try and process those in negative emotions because suffering is a byproduct of your desire and what you're attached to. So if you have this emotion and this pain that you've got, it's because you care about something deeply. And so the best way to deal with it is detach from it. So you may have a spouse, you may have a child, you may have a, a pet, you may have a, a job, and you are so emotionally deeply attached to it that the only way to deal with the emotional pain of losing that particular thing is to detach from those things that you d- deeply desire. Clearly not what Jesus showed us. Secondly, there's a Western spirituality with Christianity, that Jesus is risen from the dead. Thank, thank you, Lord. That the kingdom of God has come to earth. But actually, if you have any emotions that you don't, know, you don't know how to deal with, well, actually, emotions, just get away from me, and we start to fake it. Because everyone else seems to be going along all right. So we just land up in legalism, and if, if I've got emotions, well, let's just tuck it down, because cowboys don't cry, and we don't deal with our emotions, and we start to fake or ignore them. And then thirdly, what we have is we have this aspect of secularism. <laughs> secularism. And we see this in our workplaces, don't we, where people go, you know what, life sucks can't do anything about it. So what we'll do is we'll just numb it. <laughs> we'll just try and escape it. So we'll use drugs and alcohol and pornography and all other kinds of stuff because let's just create our own reality and uh, we'll just distract ourselves from what's really going on in our lives. And clearly what Jesus showed us was not to do that. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is about to be crucified and he does the following. He takes along his community, his three best mates, James and John and Peter. And he says, come with me. And he tells them. And he says, I'm struggling. I'm so emotionally distraught because I know what's coming. And he shares it with his mates and he takes his community along with them. Then he says, stay here. And he goes a little bit further and he falls down and he's sweating drops of blood because of the anxiety he's under. And he goes and expresses his emotions to his father in heaven. 
showing us that that's the process that we should follow. And then he expresses one of his deepest longings and desires. And it is, Father, I don't want to do this. Won't you take this cup from me? But ultimately what he does is he goes to the ultimate desire to do the will of the Father. And he allows that to supersede the strong desire that he has. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. And he shows us that in the context of our negative emotions, if we follow this process, what happens is God lifts us above our circumstance. And despite the fact that he still goes through that, look at the result and the resurrection and the life that comes because he follows that. And I, I found this quote by this uh, interesting name, Tremper Longman. I don't know who calls themselves Tremper, but hey. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves, and we lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God, only, to, only face-to-face with our deepest ruling passions is the hope of redeeming the fabric of our inner world. What was my big idea two weeks ago? Well, it was the fact that our emotions are an invitation by Jesus, who's made a way to the Father to go to the Father and sit at his feet and do what I've just described and shown you. So that was two weeks ago, which I wanted to just cover because all of this stuff feeds into it and stitches into each part. So won't you turn with me, to, please, to Matthew chapter 16. I'm not going to put the scriptures up anymore. I want you to bring your Bibles. It's good to have your Bibles. It's good to have you coloring your Bibles. And I haven't got a page. Louise loves the pages. So I've just bought her a Passion Bible for her birthday, Passion Translation. But I don't have that. But if you've got your iPad, your phones, then you really are spiritual. Okay, Matthew 16, verse 13. A scripture that's well-worn. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, the pe- who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, and, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, or the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Notice that. Blessed are you, Simon. Son of Jonah. Remember what Paul Tartil said to us last week? What, what's significant about that? What does Simon mean? Reed. Okay, so if, if Simon is a reed and gets kind of blown, reeds are not very stable, are they? If the wind blows, they blow with them. So whatever's happening in the atmosphere, whatever you're trying to do, uh, you're trying to please somebody, or whatever the case might be, well, when that wind blows, you go this way. And that's what Peter was. So he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Significant. You are the rock. You are no longer the reed that's going to get blown to and fro. Because now you've had a revelation of who the Father is, and I'm going to build my church on you, on that revelation. And I'm going to build my church because then the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here is Jesus changing the name of Simon to Peter. That's what Jesus does. He comes into our lives and he makes us from these reeds that just kind of blow and get smacked around with everything that happens in our lives to a place where we are stably secure on the rock of the revelation that we have, who is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son, the living God. 
But here's the crazy thing. Let's have a quick look. Verse 21. So Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day he will be raised to life. <laughs> Peter takes him aside and he rebukes Jesus and he says, Never, Lord. There's no ways that this is going to happen. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't know, but if Jesus had to say that to me, I'd feel a little bit overwhelmed. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but the merely human concerns. And Peter does this often, doesn't he? Just a little while later, the, the gods arrive, and he picks up the sword, and he cuts off one of the gods' ears, and Jesus heals the ear. And then a couple of hours later, he's denying Jesus. I don't know who relates to Peter. I relate to him quite a lot in my own walk with God. See, there's a part of us that is a false self. It's not who we are. It's not what God's created us to be. And psychologists call it, it's our shadow. And we're about to embark. We're about to jump off the edge of the abyss right now. Close your eyes, please. Holy Spirit, I'm inviting you into this place this morning because I do believe that this is a journey that we're about to embark on that is going to surface things in our lives that we need your help to deal with. Without you, we are literally jumping off the abyss into something of the unknown and we will not recover. Thank you for community, but thank you more, so, Holy Spirit, that you live in us and amongst us in this community to be able to lead us into an increasing measure of the image of Jesus. So right now, I ask you season my words, that you open up hearts, and God, that we are transformed more like Jesus this morning as we embark on this journey. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray that prayer because when you look at what our shadow is, it's the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts, they're largely unconscious. We, we don't really know about them until we actually start to look a little bit deeper and below the surface. Remember what I said two weeks ago? It's like, I don't like swimming in the dam because it feels slimy. You don't know what's underneath it. And it's about, okay, but what happens is these emotions and these things, these, this shadow influences and shapes my behavior and your behavior in more ways than you would want to admit. And what happens is, is really it's the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. It's your false self. And each one of us has these particular shadows. And often what they do is they come in the context of sinful behaviors. So you look up there, you become quite judgmental. Or you, you have this perfectionism around you. You just want everything perfect. That what you do is you smash the people around you and make mistakes. And if you make a mistake, you fall over and you crumble in on yourself. You have outbursts of anger. The doors at home. Hinges are a little bit loose. There's a jealousy that rises within you when you see other people succeeding. Resentment, lust, greed, bitterness. And the Bible goes on to saying all kinds of malice. The thing is, though, is that it's not always around about sinfulness. So a shadow doesn't always show itself up in a sinful way because it's not necessarily the fact that it's sin. But it can rise up because of woundedness, around weaknesses, in how you've grown up and what's happened to you as you've grown up and the things that have happened over the years. 
So what we do is we have these shadows that come and protect ourselves in environments. So if you've been asked to stand up front and give a speech in front of the, the school and something's gone down, then what happens is, is now you get asked to stand up and give a public thing. No, I can't do that. And you recede back into it. But maybe God's called you to be the greatest preacher in South Africa. And so we allow our woundedness to drive us and our shadow to drive us, our false self, and we never walk into the inheritance that God wants us to because of what has happened in our past. So it's not just sinful behaviors, but subtle behaviors, like the need to rescue people. Why have you got that motive? Maybe you want to just be liked. Maybe you want to be noticed. Maybe there's an inability to stop working. You're a workaholic. And all you do is you work and you work and you work and you don't really spend time with your kids and with your spouse. Or maybe there's a tendency to isolation and a rigidity around what you think is true and nobody else knows except you know. So Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a helpful example of what our shadow really is. It's helpful, but it's not entirely helpful and I'll speak to you in a moment about that. But Dr. Jekyll was... He leads this well-polished life, and he's respected in the community, and he's got all these friends. But at night, what happens is, is this Mr. Hyde comes out. And this Mr. Hyde is the dark part of who he is. He's violent, and he roams the streets. And initially, he kind of enjoys just indulging in this kind of dark side of who he is. But then he starts to realize that he's losing control of his life, and he's getting to a point that Mr. Hyde is really taking over and to be able to switch between this personality of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, he's starting to lose control, and Mr. Hyde is starting to be the one who's dominant, and so he takes his own life. Now, obviously, the, the author, old Robert Louis Stevenson, and many of us know the story of, of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, is a blatantly, the, the shadow part of him, the Mr. Hyde, is blatantly evil. That's not what our shadows are. It's not blatantly evil. As I said, it's the woundedness. It's that part of us that we... We, we, we don't understand, but keeps coming up at the inopportune times. And we start to see these characteristics going up in our lives when we're in certain circumstances, when we are faced with certain things, when certain people say things to us, and, and so forth and so on. And the reality is what we do understand about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is the cost of having to face up to our shadows. Because it lies beneath and it's concealed beneath the respectable self. Do I really want you to see below the surface in my life? So what happens is, is you can be this great public speaker, but actually the shadow is, is that you really are looking for affirmation and you've got this insatiable desire for people to affirm you, that you kind of value the kind of excellence, like I said, and you want people to be excellent, but you go to a place where you are such a perfectionist that you don't tolerate anybody's mistakes, and what you do is you squash people because... They maybe aren't as gifted as you or whatever the case might be. Or maybe you've got this zealousness of God's truth. I want to know exactly what the Bible says, how it, I went and studied Koine Greek because I want to know because people say, you know what, in the Greek it says this and it means this. I'm going, what? No, I want to know because I'm going to go to the Greek and then I go and I study the Greek, Koine Greek and I realize, oh my word, no wonder we've got so many translations. There's a mystery of God in it. But in that, if I become so dogmatic in my understanding of the Bible, what do I do? I stop loving on people because they've got to get it right. And you know what happens when they disagree with me? I just distance myself from them. So either agree with me and be my friend or disappear. The thing is, we are more than our shadows. 
If you hear anything this morning, we are more than our shadows. There is a true self that God has made us to be. And on one level, you get Paul, the apostle, who goes in Romans 7, he goes, I, I am wicked. There is nothing good that lives in me. And then on another level, in 2 Corinthians 5 or 7, he says, I'm uniquely made. I am a new creation. Now, both extremes of that get us into problems, don't they? Because, yes, I'm a new creation. Thank you, Lord. But actually, there's a lag on my flesh that cries out for the things of the flesh, which is not of God. And we live in this juxtaposed world, and often we get so confused as to which one's pulling, and we are called to walk by the Spirit so that we can walk out that which we already are. So, sometimes I'm amazing. I'm vulnerable. I'm open. Other times I'm defensive. Sometimes I'm, I'm really loving. Louise feels my love. My kids feel my love. Other times I'm prejudiced and very unkind. Sometimes I'm a hard worker. Other times I just love sitting on the couch with the remote and doing nothing. thing is, our shadows aren't who we are. And if we believe the lies about who the shadow makes us out to be, we land up in the wrong place. How do you know you have a shadow? Well, here are some examples. You act inappropriately under pressure. You don't want people to succeed because they hurt you. When you see that they're succeeding, you get a little upset about it. You're triggered by certain persons or circumstances. And you say things that you regret afterwards. You disregard your spouse or your co-worker when they bring up something about you, an issue about you and about your behavior. You keep doing the same thing over and over again, even though it has negative consequences. You remain angry. You remain angry, jealous or envious of things and people. You do and say things out of fear of what people think. You get busier rather than more reflective when you're anxious. Yeah, I don't know, I'm ticking on too many of these. I don't know about you. And this last one, how? I make negative comments to others about those who frustrate me rather than going directly to them. <sighs> the Bible calls that gossip. The thing about facing our shadows, it's a formidable task. One that isn't easy, and the problem is we have these self-protective mechanisms that come up all the time, and we try, and we've got these legitimate excuses, and we try and justify and avoid the ways that we want to do it, and so what we say is, no, let's deny it, or we minimize it, or I blame Paul, or I blame somebody else, or I blame myself, or I get distracted, or I project myself onto other people, especially in the body of Christ. We project our own issues and our own spiritual journeys onto other people and expect them to be what God should be to us. So regardless of this defensive shield, the, the problem is, is that there is a consequence, and often a dire consequence for us not looking at our shadows and dealing with them. And I'm wanting to encourage you this morning to do that, to look beneath the surface this morning. The reality is, is your shadow will undermine who God has created you to be. That's why we've called the series EQ. Do you know that your emotional quotient, when you look at all the things and all the studies, rates higher than anything else? Your intellectual, your IQ, your gifting, all of those other things, your experience, your education, 
Your EQ rates higher in terms of the workplace than anything else, in terms of the effectiveness and efficientness in which you work and operate. But God's desire is that Christ will be formed in us and he's after our hearts. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And he's wanting to come and he's wanting to say, Gary, those shadows and the way that you're acting out in those, I want you to look at them and I want you to start to take, I'm going to help you. I've got Holy Spirit inside of you. And he's going to lead you through this process. It's not easy. Because when you look at yourself, it's like that man who looks himself in the mirror and walks away and forgets. It's not about, I look in the mirror and I say, oh, Gary, you're beautiful. No, I look and I, I look like that scarred Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I go, God, I'm ugly. But let me ignore that and walk away. No, God, I want to look in the mirror and I want to see, God, there's an ugliness to me that I want you to deal with because I don't want to be like that anymore. And I know it's one little step. Sometimes today, maybe you're going to take that step. Maybe you're going to take a leap. But can I exhort you? Get on the journey. So here's my story. You started me this morning. So my journey started about five years ago. I started to really reflect on my spiritual formation. Many of us don't consider our spiritual formation. We've got goals and desires for our jobs and our careers. But what about having a plan for your spiritual formation? What about considering what God wants to do in terms of moving you into a place of that which you already are from a new creation perspective? So I start this journey. I go on a spiritual retreat, times of silence and solitude and a whole bunch of things like that. And I consider myself to be quite a determined individual. And God often speaks to me through my wife. And I want to leave a legacy for my kids. There are things that I've struggled with my whole life. I don't want my kids to struggle with. But I know that there's shadows in my life. And I know that what happened was, was a couple of years ago, I went for what they call the Sozo session. We call them freedom sessions now because we've morphed it into a different aspect. And it was at our previous venue, the one, the Badham's Kendall and Catry. It was in the mom's room. And a lady, Karina, I think her name was, takes me for this Sozo moment, this freedom session moment. Okay, let's see what this is about. First time, first kind of thing about it. And I'm sitting there, and she takes me through a process, and Holy Spirit speaks to me, and da-da-da-da. And Holy Spirit takes me back to a moment in high school where one of my best mates grew up with him, born a month apart, lived a house away from me, did everything, primary school, high school, the whole trip together, swam together, did a whole... We were just mates. And I think it was in my matric year, and... uh, I was reasonably successful. I think I achieved most of what I wanted to do in terms of my schooling, prefect, uh, colors for swimming and rugby, and did well in my matric results and got me into varsity. And so did all that I felt that I needed to do. A couple of things would have loved to have done better, but on the whole, I was quite satisfied and confident with what, who I was and what I was doing. And I spoke truth to this particular friend of mine around a particular issue. And he turned around to me and said, Gary, you know what? All the success has gone to your head and you've just become arrogant last thing I wanted to be was arrogant. I want to be confident and I want to be successful, but arrogant. Sheesh. So what I did was I didn't realize at that moment what that had done. Now, Holy Spirit in this freedom session is taking me back to that moment. I haven't thought about it in decades. The power of those moments. So I start to reflect on it. Okay, God, why? Why did you take me back there? What's going on? So then I realized 
Gee, when I went to first year university, I go to a His People praise and worship thing during, on the East Campus at Wits. Have this amazing moment. His people were phenomenal in those days. I don't know if they're still there. And there's this room. It's not even big. It's like half the size of our, our entrance hall there. But it's packed. I mean, you're literally like this, and everyone's just crying out to God. And I meet this mate. Not mentioning names, because maybe they'll listen to it one day. And uh, we start to build up this great friendship. And long story short, I land up in his parents' home. We're having dinner, and he's actually already married because he got married at 19 years old. No kids. They got married because they wanted to. He's at varsity. She's working. And he's not doing very well at varsity. But his wife was involved in an orphanage, and his heart was there, and he was spending so much time there that he wasn't studying, so he was failing. So I said, no, actually, he's, a, he's, a, he's bright, but actually, I, th- I think he's distracted. Well, my friend took such exception to the truth that I spoke that my relationship just went... And I have hardly spoken to him since that day. So what I realized that part of my processing, I've often said to Louise, why is it that I, I struggle with relationships? Because what's happening is God's through this process of emotional healthy spirituality, takes me to a place where he says, Gary, you don't speak truth to people because you're afraid they're going to reject you. And actually, I've called you to lead. And part of that is to be a truth speaker. Yes, in love. But to speak truth, to bring open and to break open. And you know what? Some people won't receive that and will reject you. But actually what they're going to do is they're rejecting me, not you. So what happens is I put up these shadows. My shadow starts to come up. And I start to operate out of my shadow self, which is not my true self, my false self. And then I become less effective as a leader of Lifehouse Church because I'm too scared to give negative feedback on performance. And remember performance? We hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. We don't want a performance-oriented church. But if somebody takes on a responsibility and doesn't walk it out, what would happen in the world? You get fired. And the church, uh, sorry, man, I just didn't get to it. So what I would do is, and somebody said this to me recently. In fact, Ryan Matthew said this to me recently. He said, Gary, you know what your problem is? He says, you're like this boxer who wants to go in and, and, and give a punch of truth. But you pat it with so many caveats that by the time the punch lands, it's like a... And people go, oh, oh, really, is that all? No, no, there was a responsibility that you took on. You haven't done it. Oh, I understand why you didn't do it, because you got this and you got that, and don't worry. No, no, actually, you haven't done it, and I'm holding you accountable for the fact that you took on that responsibility and you haven't done it. On the other side, yes, I know that your life's like this, and I'll deal with that, but these are two separate issues. But we soften, I soften the truth when I speak to people, because I don't want to hurt them because I'm so scared they're going to reject me. My God's taking me on this journey. So then what happens is, uh, Lisha, where are you? She brings the Enneagram into my life. And I see I'm a number three. I'm an achiever. Okay, great. That sounds so cool. But I realize that in my process, when I get stressed out and I get whatever, I go to number nine, we're going to deal with this. So I know you lost right now. I go to number nine, which is, guess what? A peacemaker. More revelation about who I am. I'm starting to understand who I am. That when I'm stressed out and I'm worried about all the conflict going on me, I don't go and I don't deal with conflict because I'm too scared I'm going to get rejected. So I start to make peace with everybody. Is everybody okay? Oh, I'm so sorry you're feeling like this. And instead of going, no, actually, my friend, you're wrong. And this is why you're wrong. And if you don't sort yourself out, here are the ramifications and consequences. 
Then I go into a genogram. And I look back on my, my history of my family, and I see a passiveness in it. I know my mom and dad are here. I'm not dishonoring them. There's a passiveness around doing stuff and making decisions. And I realize in my own life, all of that augments to this place where here's Gary, who's God has called to lead a church, and I'm not speaking truth to people because I'm scared you're going to reject me. Clearly that's going to change. <laughs> and some people won't like it. And some people will reject me because they prefer the shadow Gary. Really what they're doing is they're rejecting the Gary that God's called Gary to be. And that's what God has said to me. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing my story and I'm being vulnerable with you because each one of us has our own story, which hopefully you can relate to and understand and move into. So I'm encouraging you to come on this journey with me. I'm still on this journey. I'm still taking steps on this journey. I'm still peacemaking when things go down. Even recently, Louise told me something. I go, whoa, whoa, she, no, we can't do that. No, speak truth. Why? Because we've seen another example of something not being spoken and the damage that it's caused. Let's rather speak truth now and allow people to, because you know what? Offense is taken, not given. So what does it do when we deal with our shadows? In the book, it actually has a negative thing. But yeah, implications. It increases my ability to serve others. How? Well, when I am cognizant of my own shadow and my own failings, that when I see now a shadow in maybe Richard, I'm a lot more gracious towards him because I know myself. And I'll serve him better knowing myself and knowing where I'm failing that I'm not standing back in judgment or criticism and going, yeah, why is Richard doing that? No, actually, okay, I see that. Let me help him get on the journey too. Not out of, oh, I've done it. No, because I'm still on that journey. And I'm still finding out things about myself. And I'm still working through this process. But you know what? I grow in loving union with others when I increase my ability. Well, I increase my ability to see others when I deal with my shadow. Secondly, this is an interesting one. I will not bind my shadow or your shadow to the shadow of others. What do you mean, Gary? Who's watched the New Avengers? Who loves Marvel and DC and all these, Batman, Superman? Why do we love that? Because you know what? We love to see people who just have the strength and are just above the average Joe with the supernatural powers. We want to see that happen in our midst, don't we, from a God perspective and people healed and delivered and all that. But we also love the fact that other people have these kind of increased gifts, don't we? That's why we gravitate towards that. But you know the problem is? Let's, let's put that back into society. We gravitate towards people who are more gifted than ourselves. And we put them up on a pedestal. And, and then we start to project onto them. I've been there. I was in a previous church where the leader stood in awe of him. All this gifting. And God's given him more of this and more of that. I almost didn't plant a church and became a preacher because I saw someone like Rory Dyer who was just an amazing preacher. And go, I could never do that. So we project our insecurities and everything onto that person. And guess what happens after a while? They've got their own shadows they're trying to deal with. And all of a sudden, you see that they've got a shadow, and you're so disappointed in them that you just get them to crash down to the ground. Am I right? So when we deal with our shadows and we understand what those things are, we don't bind ourselves to other people and cause damage because we elevate them to a position that they should never be. Huh. 
Number three, which is beautiful, we receive a gift from Jesus. You cannot change what you're not aware of. And unfortunately, once we acknowledge our shadow, and I'm hoping you guys start this journey, if some of you haven't yet today, and you start to acknowledge that you have a shadow, you try to find out what the root is and the expressions thereof, because when you start to do that, the power starts to diminish. Mr. Hyde goes into hiding, and Dr. Jekyll starts to take front and center stage, the true you, not the false you. And what happens when we expose that to the light of Jesus, we can dismantle all the lies that are there. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Here's the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Remember what I spoke of two weeks ago? Part of this thing is Jesus became a man to deal with the shame that we carry. There's no shame in this man now, is there? Because he's understood that he's gone to Jesus and he said, take this, the shadow thing that's here, help me deal with it. And he's going, no, my grace is sufficient for you to deal with it. And actually in your weakness, I'm going to be made strong. And so what happens is, is these weaknesses that we've had because of things that we've grown up with and all, they actually become a strength with us when we come and we submit it into Christ and we allow his life and his power to reign through us. And that's the gift we get. That despite the fact that you have weaknesses in these areas, Jesus comes in and actually makes it a strength. I don't know about you, but that's really helpful for me to understand. See, the process isn't an easy one. And many of you are too scared to even go there. It's like me swimming in the dam and going, what is under here? Expecting a dead body to float up in any minute. The problem, here's the big problem. And we're going to deal with this going forward. One of our preachers is on this, or in the series. If you don't choose to deal with your shadow, guess what God does? He brings you to what they call a wall. And through the pain of hitting that wall, you are forced to deal with your shadow. There are many who even then don't choose to and just sit at the wall for the rest of their lives and become bitter and twisted. And you can't go around the wall. You can't go over the wall. You've got to go through the wall. Have you ever tried to run through a wall? And I'm not going to take the thunder away from whoever's preaching on that. I don't think I am. But Louise and I watched the series um, Criminal Minds. And I only caught the last 15 minutes of it a couple of weeks ago. Maybe some of you saw it. But there was, it was a serial killer who was dumping the bodies that they had killed into this particular dam, lake, whatever it might be. But now this particular area had a drought. And the water had receded and dropped. And guess what was starting to pop up? My worst, kind of most frightening nightmare, bodies, dead bodies. And obviously they caught who the serial killer was. But that's what God does, is he'll bring a drought in your life in various areas so that you deal with your shadow. So you have a choice this morning to go, God, I know I've got a shadow. I'm acknowledging it. I know there's something beneath. I'm going to take courage to start looking beneath. And when I start to do that, I understand that instead of that, instead of hitting the wall over there and me being forced to do it, you're going to deal with it in my life now because I'm choosing to go on that journey rather than being forced into it by life circumstances. I started with the Apostle Peter, and I'm going to end with him. But there was a clear indication throughout Scripture and throughout his writings in First and Second Peter that he dealt with his shadow. 
says, therefore, this is 1 Peter 2 verse 1, therefore rid yourself of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Remember, grow up in your salvation. Faith is not enough, I'm afraid. Faith is not enough. Now that you have been, t- now, now, try that again. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So in all of this, taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants you to move into a place of wholeness. So what I want to do is I want to invite you to continue this journey with us. There are freedom sessions that in particular Kerry and Louise do. I want to encourage you. You may think, oh my word, I can't think of anything worse then you should be going. You know why? Because I've shown you, you identify the shadow. I had a second freedom session. Submitted myself to Kerry and to Karen. They heard things and know things about me and that thing. There's confidentiality. Because I believe in what they're doing. God unearthed amazing things again. I will be going for another one in due course. You don't just go to one. And if people help you, hear what the Holy Spirit's saying. They lead you and facilitate a moment because sometimes we can't hear God for ourselves. We've got the power of the Enneagram. Leisha and Louise are going to be talking about their learnings on that next week. That's what the preach is about. Now you go, Enneagram, what are you talking about? Well, go Google it. No, maybe not. But what we're going to do is we're going to show you the power of understanding who you are your personality type and what you do under stress and what you do when, you, when you're healthy. I love the Enneagram as a personality setup, and there's, there's way more to it. And not only that, we can't do anything in an hour with you guys. So we're going to have Enneagram moments outside of this where Alicia's going to help lead you. She's a trained facilitator on it. We're going to do that through the life groups. Get the material on emotional healthy spirituality. There are a number of books. There's emotional spirituality, there's emotional healthy leader, Emotionally healthy woman, there's emotional healthy relationships, etc. Emotional healthy church. I'm not, I'm not elevating Pete Scazzaro to anything other than a writer that God has given him principles that will help us in our journey. So, what, what I'm saying is, if you get that material and you start to, well, there's a thing called a genogram. What is a genogram? It's looking back. Go and do a genogram on Abraham. The guy lied. Go do a genogram and you'll see that Isaac and Jacob, guess what? They lied too. So there was this lying culture that came through his family line. Somebody had to stop it at some point. Why not let it be you? I don't know about you, but I'm committed to this journey. Because God's doing stuff in me and in my family and with Louise. What are we going to get onto? And I know Richard Sheehan is the Sabbath. Try and take a Sabbath. Not legalistically, take a Sabbath, a true Sabbath, when we rest back into God in faith and allow God to do what He needs to do while we're resting. Try and do that in this country and in this city and in this world. We're doing relatively well. Ask my kids, 6 o'clock last night, we switched everything off. And we played games and we interacted with one another and we read books. We were in bed at 8 o'clock last night. We go home today and we rest. We've come and we've worshipped with the community. We go home and we rest until 6 o'clock tonight. Then the kids get their iPads and their phones back. 
Did you hear what I'm trying to say? Now, are we going to do that every single Saturday to Sunday? Well, we're aiming at that. But you know what? If we can hit half of that right now and move and increasing measures, I think it would be a good thing. And that we plan that day that it's not just about, oh. no, no, it's about resting in God. Last night, reading Deuteronomy chapter 8, looking at what God's doing in my life, taking me into the desert, creating a hunger in me through lack but I know he's going to surprise me. If we get this right, guys and girls, God takes us to live this contemplative life in a crazy city that our lives will be examples to others, that we will change the atmospheric pressure in this city in the most profound way because we live our lives centered around God and not around the circumstances and everything that is trying to pull our attention away from the one who needs it. Let's stand. Let me reiterate. This is a journey. I'm trusting just for the next little while as we worship and we're going to do communion. That we, and I, I, I think we should do communion just between me and God. In fact, as we start worshiping, let me, let me administrate it from here. As we start worshiping, why don't you go and grab and just come and hold your, your emblems just for a while and engage God around what He's done. Uh, Holy Spirit, why don't you reveal the shadow in me? Just one. I know I've got too many. You can't deal with them all at once. But if you just deal with one and take one step forward towards God, one step forward towards your true self rather than your false self, I think God's going to start a momentum in you that actually gets easier and easier and easier and easier and we become, become more like Christ and we leave the fingerprints of the kingdom and, his, and the king of the kingdom on people's lives rather than our shadowy selves.